This is the Goalkeeper Roundtable, hosted by Dr. Bill Steffen, with Jeff Shook, George Castellas, and Dave LaTourette. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Goalkeeper Roundtable. Today, we've asked Rob Walker to pull up a chair. Rob is currently the head men's soccer coach at St. Martin University in Washington, here in the United States. Rob will be starting his 15th season at St. Martin's, but not only does he have great experience at the collegiate level, he has fantastic experience at the youth level and brings a ton of wisdom to the table today. So sit back, relax, and enjoy with Dr. Bill, GK, Shooky, no lotto though, and Rob Walker. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, pick one. Um, we're happy to be back with Rob Walker. Rob, um, St. Martin's, Rob, correct? Correct. St. Martin's, but a well-known uh, goalkeeper, coach, instructor, uh, throughout the years has just a great knowledge of goalkeeping. And so this will be fun for us. We get to talk goalkeeping. We kind of always do anyway, but this will be fun anyway. All right. So Rob, welcome. You pretty much have introduced everybody. We've had a chance to quickly chat. Um, we are talking a little bit about your program um, and the, obviously the uh, structures put in place to help uh, cover COVID. How did you handle training uh, before a certain before we really got a handle on what this was well i'm still trying to figure out what this is or what <laughs> this I, I tomorrow i'll know what it was i guess um we did we did a, a variety of things you know we followed the nca protocol and did uh pod training uh which kind of sounds futuristic uh but basically a lot of you know field players did a lot of pattern work and um, you know, just stay, tried to stay contained in their pods. I put a goalkeeper in with each pod so there could be some goalkeeping activity connected with the team. Um, and to be honest with you, it wasn't a lot of fun. Um, not something I would want to do, um, very much. I'm not a fan, let's put it that way. Um, so, uh, we got through that and, um, you know, went through our, 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 our fall, our season was moved to the spring. So like everybody else, we just, you know, tried to figure it out. We did have a, sh it went through a shutdown because we had uh, a player uh, test positively. And um, we've had uh, a couple of small issues. I mean, we we're one of the only schools in Washington that have, have had kids on campus all year. Um, we have a mix of, of in-person hybrid and, and um, online courses that they're taking. Um, so it's, it, and it's worked out very well. We've had a very low incidence of, uh, uh, of, of COVID here on campus, but there have been some athletes that have been caught a couple of our players. So we've gone through, you know, uh, isolation and quarantines and, and all that a couple of times, but overall we, we've been good, um, that way. Um, I think that, uh, it's a breath of fresh air when, you know, you, you have to go through all the restrictions and you're always wearing a mask to be able to get out and play, whether you're masked or, now we can, now we can, uh, when we play hard, we can have our masks off. So that's been a real relief uh, for the players. And I think they've really enjoyed it. Um, 
you know, it's not something I want to talk about next year about how we go through year two of this, to be honest with you, I'd like to get back to normal. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that's yeah. basically been our approach. We've had to be very careful, but. No, but I, I think everybody has, and it's, I think it's a shame because a lot of kids have kind of lost a year. Uh, obviously the NCAA is trying to make adjustments for that things. So, so but just in terms of soccer, but obviously in terms of other things as well, it's been such an odd year for kids that hopefully, you know, this is something they'll tell their grandkids because they don't have any experiences with it. So um, we look to that. Um, anyway, goalkeeping. Um, you know, you've had a, a really lot of success working with goalkeepers at a lot of different levels, and that's great. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about is one of the things that I, I think is tremendously important and in, and in dealing with goalkeepers more collegially than anything else is, is decision-making. And it's difficult because especially kind of segueing from what we talked about, you know, kind of in the pods, you want decision-making to be as realistic, functional, applicable to game settings as possible. How do you coach decision-making? Well, you know, I think that there, there's a couple of things that I shoot for, you know, with, with whether I, I, I coach at Harbor Soccer Club, uh, which is just up the road from us uh, across the Narrows Bridge in Gig Harbor. Uh, coach here at the university and with what doesn't matter who the goalkeepers are. Um, I want to make sure that number one, there's goalkeeping going on so that the goalkeepers have, you know, some functionality. So they feel good about where they're at technically. Um, you know, maybe there are some things that we can um, make a little better through some, um, you know, some just whether they're changes or just polishing up their technique a little bit. I think that's an important piece to decision-making. Um, I know that I feel a lot more comfortable um, when I'm at ease with how I'm going to move versus when I'm not at ease with that. So I think that that, that always goes. Um, the, the flip side of it is, is that there always should be a connection to what's going on in the team. Um, so we do most of our training in, in, in club and, and uh, here, here at the university, um, We'll do some work outside, but then there's uh, immediate immersion into the team. And uh, um, guys um, uh, that I coach here are jumping right into, you know, a lot of small-sided games and what are the parameters? What do they have to do in terms of their um, angle play, starting positions? Um, and, and you just try to create, you know, while you want to create some uh, non-abstract kind of things, some things that are, are just progressive, you also want to create some chaos. Because uh, when you get a mix of those, that's where decision making comes from. So, you know, um, I had I we, we played on Wednesday. So I had a group of about nine players yesterday. So we started out playing two versus two um, or actually three versus three, two, two field players versus two field players. And, and the goalkeepers are in the big goals on a 36 yard long field. You know, just your basic, basic small sided games. But then what I did is I added players to one side. Uh, so they ended up playing three versus two and four versus two in about a 90 second period. So uh, there was, so everything changed. So the goalkeeper was looking at uh, the goalkeeper that had two defenders against four attackers, all of a sudden had to hold different series of decisions to make versus the goalkeeper that, you know, now was, was numbers up and feeling very comfortable on the ball because they weren't getting pressed, you know, uh, there weren't any, any kind of thing. So I, I try to create that environment a lot because, you know, um, when, when we take a look at what happens collegiately, um, it's, it is progressive. It is non-abstract, 
uh, in a non-abstractive way, um, there's that part of the game, but then there's chaos too. So I think you got to bring both parts of those in into the game. I like that a lot because again, we when we speak to a lot of youth coaches, they're always trying to make sure things are even. And the reality is in a game, the, the important moments are the moments when things aren't even. So I think having your goalkeepers prepared to handle that is, is very good. I like playing numbers up and numbers down. Um, this is very good for them. Um, from, from that small, from that small setting, small side of games to a larger setting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, how do you, do you have to deal with that any differently? Because again, in a larger setting, it's obviously not as, you know, it's very, very few pauses between the act, especially in the four V two, there's not going to be much downtime for the people with the two defenders mm -hmm. when it's in a larger setting and there's perhaps uh, more of a buildup. It's not quite as quick, maybe not. I don't want to say, I'm not going to say this right. I don't want to say it's not as reactive, but there's a little bit more structure to the setting in a larger, in a larger setting with a larger number of players. Um, any differences with that? Well, the, the, the first thing is, it's what is your, when you're, when we're playing, we, we play a lot of 11 versus 11 on fields that are 80 yards long, 85 yards long and, you know, 50, 55 yards wide. So, and then there are other times we go bigger, you know, for obvious reasons, but I think, um, you know, the fact that we rarely get into 11 v 11 situations on full fields and training that keeps everything more compact. Mm -hmm. um, also, also, we try to vary where the ball, where, where the new ball comes in. So do we start with a throw in on out of the defensive third that the goalkeeper has to deal with? Or do we play a ball to, you know, there's a coach play a ball, a high ball in that has to be reacted. So there's there's that piece to start the play. But then it all gets down. You know, our, our players are, are constantly coached about, you know, when they're not involved in the play, how are they connected? Um, and we really focus in the final 35 yards about, you know, what information is being given. So as the ball approaches them, how are they organizing and what are they doing? Um, as the ball leaves the defensive third, then, you know, does a goalkeeper follow the play and, and everything. But because we tend to keep things tight, um, there's a lot of action to that. We also, we also will routinely play. And whenever a ball crosses over the end line, we'll add a cross in with the players that have been involved, for example. Um, so um, there's that element too. Um, so as we build in with, with either intermediate or larger sided games, we try to add that extra stimulus um, as well, because it's just not for the goalkeepers, but it's for the backs that have to deal with things. It's for the forwards that have to be clued in. I'm Right now, we're, we're, we changed. We were a very young team uh, or this year in comparison to past three years, uh, we had a great goal scorer that played and graduated. So we're playing like almost five freshmen, a, a, a game right now. And they have, there's some nuances to their naivete that I've had to figure out. And so we have had to spend a lot of time in how we're going to enter and at what speed we enter. And, um, so, um, within our larger sided games, we have to stimulate that a little bit as well. And that affects then what, what's happening with the goalkeepers. Um, so there's a lot going on with how you're trying to grow your team. Yeah, I think the, the condensing, when you mentioned that, I just I don't know if you remember George Tarantini, at, um, RIP George, um, but he used to continually play 11 v 11 on half a field. 
and he had some very good players that could deal with that kind of, but having that kind of condensed space and the pressure he felt was like really, really conducive to developing decision-making on a larger field when they actually have a bit more time and space. Um, Jeff, did you have something? Yeah, Rob, I've got a question that might help out some of our goalkeepers who are looking forward to playing collegiately. Do you have an ideal number of goalkeepers that you carry on your roster? And is there a number that's too big or a number that's too small that you're not comfortable with? I, I remember I was in, in, instructing in uh, New Hampshire at an A license. And I went around I, and I knew some of the coaches that, that were attending. And, and so I and they were coaching collegiately. And uh, I, I said, so how many how many goalkeepers are you carrying? And somebody was talking in a collegiate setting, you know, six goalkeepers, seven goalkeepers. And I said, so we've just and, and this was when MLS had just started. And the big question was, how are goalkeepers going to get playing time? How are they going to develop professionally? You know, uh, it, you know. I mean, it's great to say we have a great training camarad, you know, uh, camaraderie and, and and all of that. But at the end of the day, you got to get games. You got to, you know, do all that. And so we we don't we don't have a reserve program here. We can't. Um, so basically, um, I'm always looking for three, um, four is I can make work, um, and four is great for training because if your work to rest ratios really work well then um it's a nice matchup um if you only have two then you've always got to be guarded um because an injury can flare up uh we actually when i when i coach women here we actually played about seven or eight games with a a, a girl that was our uh, basically a defensive midfielder a five foot two defensive midfielder that was fun <laughs> Uh, because we because because we lost our our two goalkeepers to you know one with a concussion issue and another with a sprained ankle or something and she couldn't play for six seven seven games so yeah I, I think you have to have numbers um that's part of the college experience you know it's it's the same thing as roster sizes you know i i really like 25 on my roster but i'm going to take 31 because it makes admissions happy makes a budget people happy uh, and then we're, we're going to have injuries that are going to take us downward. And, and so the perspective, you know, uh, uh, youth player that's going to go to college needs to understand that that'll be part of the experience of, of coming into a group that's going to be larger typically than what they've ever, you know, experienced as a youth player. Um, and if they don't play well, then they are also going to get replaced, which sometimes doesn't happen as a youth player. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't want more than that. Um, I don't want to be, I don't want to tell a kid, well, you're the sixth goalkeeper because the reality is, is that they're never going to get to play, you know, in, in anything that's meaningful. And I think that's a big part of, of what we've got to do is, is, is get kids time to play in whatever, whether it's, it's, it's just in a, a backup role or whether it's during the spring season, you know, when we can kind of, um, you know, move players around a little bit and, and take our chances. So. Mm -hmm. North Carolina, we had four, uh, but two realistically traveled and played, and the other two knew. Anson did a lot of four before, so they were very busy and very active yep. in training. Yep. But at the same time, they knew they weren't going to play. Yep. On the plus side, you know, you're going to get a lot of Nike gear. Yeah, you know, and <laughs> you, you might win a national championship. Yeah, so that's good too. Um, so that was helpful with them. Um, one of the things, and again, I'm, I'm, we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but when you mentioned the spring, that's one of the real shames I feel in terms of uh, a lot of schools. I'm at Wingate University, Division Two, no games in the fall, move the conference season to the spring, 
and that kind of counts. And so in the spring is when there will be a lot of opportunity for kids that don't typically play or get a lot of minutes to get minutes. And now we've gone away from that. Um, I, I like Sasha's idea of the year long season. Um, but then again, if you're gonna eliminate the spring, you're gonna then remove the opportunity for some of these players. So that's kind of like, I mean, it's like most things, there's good and there's bad. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on, I think he calls it the academic model. Is that what he calls it? You know what I'm referring to? Yeah, the 21st century model, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Is that what he um, calls it? Okay. I, I mean, well, I think I think we real. it's, that's one of the things that COVID, you know, uh, we, we had a Vegas disappearing act uh, you know, COVID hit and then all of a sudden, you know, poof, um, you know, well, we're not going to vote on that now. Um, and, which is, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen it operate, um, you know, as a division two coach, we get to inherit, uh, a lot of D ones, but we also have some differences. So I think, you know, we could have seen the, the, the wheels on the road, uh, you know, go forward a little bit. Um, I think if, if I had my way, I would support that. Um, but it would, it would definitely change some of the things I do with, with roster player, with my roster size and what roles I identify. Um, because I, we use the spring uh, to, to play kids. We can play, we can play two games in a day. I can play a junior college and play my freshman, yeah. for example, in the morning. And then we can play, you know, uh, an NPSL team or something in, you know, in the afternoon. Um, and that works really well. Um, and it gives everybody an opportunity to, to play and get some feedback. I would, I would exchange that, uh, for, for the model, but it, it would probably mean that I would construct my roster a little bit differently, or at least, at least it would be clear. Um, because, uh, you know, when you're playing in, con I mean, our conference is, it, I mean, our biggest problem is we're small and we beat up on each other. Uh, so on any given day, anybody can beat anyone. And so, you know, you, you want to move forward, you know, towards towards playing in the national tournament. You, you, you can't take the chances that you take in a normal season. But that that's a balancing act. I mean, the, the bigger the bigger question really comes now in, in at Division two. Uh, we've had life in the balance now for uh, what over 10 years. And and, you know, we're talking about getting some acclimatization time back. So our players don't get there, you know, just don't get run into the, into, into the, you know, ground because we're, we're trying, we're in a short preseason. We're also playing exhibitions and then school starts and we've, we, you know, we start playing, you know, two or three games a week. Um, and, and for goalkeeping, it's, it's just as bad. I mean, you know, I, I've never had an, I shouldn't say I've never had an unfit goalkeeper here, but I, I've had problems with just overuse because we're, you know, we're trying to do too much too soon. Um, and um, the science is there. We've just got to, you know, we've really got to put our arms around it and say, maybe, maybe we do need to allow you more time coming in, or we need to allow you to do more during the summer to prepare your players to come forward. So if we didn't get the 21st century model, I would look, I, I would be hopeful we could elongate uh, some of the time coming in, um, you know, to pr help prepare our players so they're just not overrun. Okay. How, how, and again, I'll, I'll admit to not knowing your roster. How international is your roster? Uh, we are pretty much an exclusively Northwest West Coast deal. Um, oh. we, we, get no, we get no help uh, on our, our international students here. 
So, you know, uh, we, we had a, we had a kid who was a SID all American last year and, and basically uh, five U S players to every eight internationals uh, in D two last year on, on those teams. So um, we, when we compete, you're talking about homegrown kids um, oh. and hopefully we have enough of the prime homegrown kids to compete against the schools that have internationals. Cause there is a, a difference there. Yeah. Now obviously Wingate division two, but, Primarily international. Uh, I think last year they had four Americans on the roster, um, and that's in, in our conference. That's part of the course. Uh, so, isn't there discussion, guys, that they're now saying that coaches would will be able to instruct or even coach their players over the summer a bit? I think they there was a little bit of chatter about that happening. Have you guys heard that at all? I have not. I have, and I know they're still limited to the number of players they can be with if they're going to coach in an NPSL or USL two level. Yeah, we can't have any contact with our players. Can't can't do anything with them. The only we, we can have our our trainer, you know, uh, either certified, uh, you know, yeah. certified uh, strength you know, and conditioning. Thank you, strength and conditioning, and, and our training yeah. staff can see our kids, yeah. but we we can't. So, you know, and there's just, it's the specificity issue, you know, you get into it, you know, it's just hard. And I, I, I really want my kids to have a summer too. I want them off playing and work. I mean, they got, we, we're a private school. They got to work and, and, and do all that. I mean, I don't want to be too intrusive. It's just, uh, you know, how all that builds out. So well, I, I think at D2, what we've got to do is really, you know, I, I, I'm supportive of, of, a, of having a look at a different model. Uh, but I'm also I also want to go back and 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 ask for that acclimatization piece, just to, uh, basically going back to where we were when life in the balance started. Yeah. Um, we had plenty of time in preseason, um, so that would be that would be something to look at. Give us. Do you time. recommend that your players play in the NPSL or whatever the amateur leagues are in between that dead time of spring and preseason? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm not opposed to. to I mean, they're players. And, you know, they're, when they come back for an alumni game after they graduate, they realize that there's a, a short uh, period of sunshine that shines on their back. And so I want them to be able to play uh, during that time. I, I know coaches that, you know, oh, I don't want you to play on that team or I don't want you to play in that league or whatever. But um, I'm just, I, I just believe they're players and they need to, to, to play. So Players want to play. Players want to play. Yeah. George, you have something. Well, no, I guess we're, um, you know, listening to Rob and, and when he was describing his approach in regards to, to those activities. Um, Rob, I know some, you know, like yourself, myself, you, you become a head coach. Eventually, you, you have to make all the, the big decisions. But at the same time, when you're putting together your staff, you're thinking, well, I need a goalkeeper coach. Uh, I need to figure out who's a so hearing you speak, you've obviously have chosen that, hey, I am going to continue to train the goalkeepers. Is that correct? <laughs> well, yeah, my, there's, there's a conversation that I have with every, every goalkeeper that comes here. And I say, you know, how big is our coaching staff? All right, there's two, all right, um, my, my, my assistant and me. Um, and then there's, there's actually, it's, it's like one of those 1950s uh, uh, black and white films where, you know, you get a little crazy person uh, who gets to be the goalkeeping coach and, and 
they, the goalkeepers get to trust that person. But when it comes down to talking to the head coach, that's an entirely different character. Um, and um, so I, what I've had to do several times is explain to our outfield players, you know, what's going on. Like, how come the goalkeepers didn't have to pass, you know, uh, you know, our fitness standards? And, you know, so I said, well, I've consulted with the goalkeeping coach and here's, here's what you need to know. Um, you know, and, um, and the goalkeeping coach is happy with this. The head coach, you know, is ready to go. And then when the goalkeepers have a tough day, I walk in and say, I, I think I'm going to fire the goalkeeping coach. So I uh, just want you to, you know, heads up, there'll be somebody new coming in and it's still me. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a thing of balance, but it's something number one, I enjoy. And I think the goalkeepers, the guys I have right now, I really am fond of and, and, and we're having a good time uh, doing what we do. So during COVID, I think this has worked out really well. Um, trying to, and we carve out plenty of time for them. Um, that's the nice thing about having, a, you know, being on our 20, uh, 20 hour carrot period here is I don't have to worry about and, and not playing games all the time. Um, you know, the periodization structure isn't the same. So we, we can work a lot. And that's, that's been a bonus, you know, being able to come in and say, okay, we're going to work uh, 75 minutes before training. And uh, then you can, we'll work on your distribution while they get warm. And then you're right into a game. Um, it's, it's worked out really well. Um, not having to worry about, you know, um, you know, where we're at in our norm, what would be our normal uh, uh, calendar. No, I think it's fantastic. I was about to ask you about what's uh, how do how do you how do you create or your time frame? Do you get them out earlier? Do you keep them later? Um, and the only reason why I ask is because I mean, you know, uh, obviously coming from that the Chico tree, you know, Tony ascended into the you know head women's soccer coach, you know, for the national team, but he still found it to be important for him to to be the goalkeeper coach as well. So. Um, I just wanted your take on that. But do you, do you usually get them out earlier then, right? Yeah, because, I, I mean, the thing is, is that that's where the major fatigue in their day, you know, going back to questions that Bill had about, well, what happens when you go from small-sided to big-sided, you know, and, and how does that change decision-making patterns and everything you do? The same thing is true. I mean, I want to load them up in the front end and then have them go through and let's see where we're at. doesn't mean that, you know, in the final 15 minutes of a training session again, say, okay, we're done playing. Now we're going to, we're going to do the shooting activity. And now it's, you know, that's where it's good to have a bigger roster. That's where seven goalkeepers make sense. You know, yeah. starters and backups are out and everybody else is in. I mean, that, that would, you know, yeah. it's a great experience, isn't it? You know, so, <laughs> um, you know, that I, I, I think, uh, uh, I, that I'm just I, my preference is to load them first and then have them play through that and have them progress to something bigger and then be done. Yeah, I think it was Tony. All right, Pete. Tony uh, said he he's seldom seen a goalkeeper carried off the field due to exhaustion. That's um, right. That's right. So they just right. live for that. They live for that. Um, okay, I tell you what. I'm gonna I'm gonna spare George from a rant and. Well, let's open the K save block save question, George. So, okay, we'll, uh, we'll we won't let you get wound up yet. Um, oh, he's talked about it a lot. So, easy. okay, um, it's been a great emphasis, and again, I just think that it's become uh, just perhaps a real I don't know topic, perhaps more than it actually deserves to be at some points. But um, the emphasis on uh, training to block or assume the, the K position or whatever you, people are calling it. Um, your thoughts on that? I'd be curious to hear you. 
to be honest with you, I, when George let me know this would be a question, I Googled it because I wasn't sure what the <laughs> frick we were talking about. Um, so uh, now now that that's happened, uh, thanks for the, yeah, Crazy Ivan, I really like that. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I like that a lot. Uh, I'll probably add uh, an expletive right in the middle of that. Um, so, so here's the thing. Um, last night, uh, I, I woke up because I had, I mean, We've we've had you know we've lost some some important Tonys um, you know uh, Tony Waiters passed away and and I was I was close with him um, and he used to talk about about how he used to you know when he was growing up to in in, in uh, increase his hand speed he he he'd try to see if he could snatch flies out of the air and um, when you get out into a confrontational position where you know you've got just fractional seconds to respond or not just not to lose your shape whatever whatever you can do to to get there is important but that idea that from a k position can you still snatch flies comes into me and i have a goalkeeper i'm working with right now that gets into that position way too early and loses all mobility and can't snatch flies and can't move and and so and some some of that is a process of how quickly they're traveling out when they decide to establish that position mm -hmm. all that which is the same for mm -hmm. coming out and being in that quote stalking position that i'm probably more um in favor of um uh you know when you sign a glove contract they want you to use your gloves as much as possible and so I think that whenever you can get out into those positions and establish yourself and react that way, um, I think you can put the ball in better positions than being in that blocking position. But there is a time when you have to do that. And yeah. I guess my, my rejoinder to that would be this. Um, a lot of times when, when, when a kid comes out and gets that position and they're rocking around and they're raising their feet and doing all that stuff, um, I ask them what I'm thinking about. And they say, you know, oh, well, where are you going to put the ball? Or go? I say, no, I'm thinking about what I had for lunch today. It was peanut butter and jelly. Um, so, you know, when you come out and establish your position, you've got to be, you know, set and still and ready to react. If the K position gets that done, that's okay until mm -hmm. the ball goes in between your legs or over your foot or whatever. I mean, there's more, there's more waving at the ball as it goes by than when you're out in a normal stocking position. Yeah. So um, that's kind of where I'm going to come out on it. It's, it's I, how much do we train that with me? Um, not a ton, um, a little, but not a ton. Cause I mean, it's, uh, I, I always try to turn it back to, to what does a player in a one versus one position do when they're in a jockeying position, you know, they're side on and, you know, do they tackle or do they do, can they come across and block? Okay, same, it's the same thing. So I try to relate a lot of what goalkeepers do to what outfielder field players would do, you know, with a player inside the 18, you know, is this where you tackle? Is this where you block? Is this where you poke? You know, do you keep your feet and just keep moving? You know, what are you trying to do? So yeah. um, that's my, my take on it. It's very interesting because again, some of the things you said just really late because um, the reality is in those kind of situations, you, you, the science is you just can't react fast enough, but you can read. Anything by committing to that K position too early, you throw all the ability to read because you're going to shoot too fast. I can't save it unless I can read what you're doing. And the fact that I can read what you're doing 
enables me to make the saves. Again, the, the, the timing of the penalty kicks, that's my I always fall back on because they really studied that. And it's just, you can't react fast enough. So you have to read. And I think we have to teach our kids to be able to read things. And okay, where did you think he was going to shoot? Why? And just have them develop that. It's a very intangible thing, but. Yeah, I've, I've been taking money off of kids playing slap hand games for a long time. So that's, that's the way I lead um, <laughs> it, 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 in this um you know um so that's just my that that's my thing um you know but the the thing is is that that when it's done well and right it's an outstanding tool to have in your toolkit yeah. it's just the miss there's a lot of things that i think are misapplied you know by by goalkeeping trainers um goalkeeping coaches um, and so I would always ask them, you know, does this fit in this situation? And there, there has to always be trial and error, trial and error on the part of the goalkeeper and trial and error on the coach too. Um, but you know, when you, when you've been doing stuff for a long time, that's where you, that's where you could start to talk about how you read, right? Yeah. That's, that's where you can start to talk about what is, is there another action before you get into that K position that yeah. might work better? Um, that's that's the big thing. I don't mind the, the, that at all, but when it's misapplied, it just pisses me off. And, and, that, and that's where my my rant stems from, Rob. It's just I actually see it being misapplied and, and misused. And, you know, my, my belief is that with, with breakaways, yes, obviously there's a level of sacrifice, but there's also that level of patience where you close quickly, you're dynamic you're basically getting set, but it's, you know, not stationary. You're, you know, you're, you're stalking. And then to me, Billy comes what you, you've just established. Can I read it? You know, what's, what are they showing me? So um, I really believe when you, you, when you look at that quote point blank opportunity, we usually see it more with the cutback where, you know, you know, they're going to finish it one time. So now you're, you are thrusting yourself um, across the goal or towards the ball that to me is what I consider that that split second where you got to make yourself as big as possible and it's it's not always um, when it's in a breakaway I don't think you need to throw yourself out there right away because then you're actually you know presenting the the opponent or the shooter the attacker the opportunity to chip you or go around you or play it through you so I really believe that there's you know again it, it needs to be applied in those situations where it is very reactive. And your physical stature has a lot to do with your margin of error within the application of the save. You know, we had a, we had a, I lucky enough to work with a UWS team and we've got a, a young lady who's five foot five in the goal as one of our keepers. If she goes down into that K too early, her size is so small that there's just holes and pockets to get a fire so easily but she wants to reference Manuel Neuer doing it. And it's like, well, he's a foot taller than you with arms and legs out to here. It might've worked for him at that distance, but for you at that size, it's just not going to happen unless the shooter accidentally hits you. And I think we leave that out quite often. You know, today, you know, on the soccer field, I'm, I'm training uh, the goalkeepers and I have an activity where, you know, we're, we're passing back and forth and then the goalkeeper has to, get it out to the to the other striker who I've set up, who then it, it makes it live. So they pass it out and now they take a touch in and 
one of the, one of the situations I had him do it with within the penalty area, very close. And, but it's from an angle, you know. It's from an angle, and you know, an angled breakaway. You don't need to to close as much. The goal is naturally smaller. So the striker took a bit of a touch, which now the keeper's thinking, should I take some more? So he decides to take some more, but then he starts sprawling into a K and I'm just like, if you just remained and kept your shape because he got scored upon. And I was just like, as soon as you got caught moving and thrusting your K was what exposed you in that situation. So it was just that coachable, teachable moment. And again, you guys are hearing me say it's, I'm not a, to the technique I'm really not there's a purpose to it and like Rob you stated it needs to be in your toolkit but it needs to be applied properly so again just and I agree with you Shooky. John Bush mentioned it when he was on the show I mean I'm 5'10 on a good day I'm not doing a K I'm gonna now make myself you know what three feet tall you know I get smaller in that moment so and I got away with it for a long time, but that's what happens at six foot five. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, I'm on a shorter end of the spectrum as well. Um, but that actually kind of segues to um, another thing we're going to talk about. One of the things that, again, I, I, as I mentioned, I'm, uh, I was 5'11". I'm close to it now. Um, <laughs> but in terms of uh, explosiveness, I was very happy with um, my ability to jump. And one of the best things that I did was I would do a series of plyometric trains. Um, I did uh, actually a lot of work on sand. Um, a friend of mine, now a retired U.S. Marshal, um, we just took a ball. We had a knife, cut a hole in it, filled with sand, taped it up, and we would dive back and forth on this beach in Glens Falls, New York, um, to work on our explosiveness. If you have a goalkeeper, a young goalkeeper that is not going to be large stature, what kind of advice, programs, et cetera, would you suggest for that goalkeeper to do to develop explosiveness and other talents needed? Well, so, it, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly certain that when God made me, they just went to the spare parts store and threw shit on me. Um, <laughs> my, I, my wingspan is, was, when in my prime, was about six feet four. I stand five feet nine. Um, I've got pretty large hands, a large neck. Um, I mean, I mean, but you know, why am I only five, nine, you know, I, I, mean, I was, oh, I was also born, this is like show and tell in first grade. I was also born with an extra finger that they had to chop off when I was an infant. So I, I mean, th th that's the, the first thing you got to look at is, is what's in the mix. Uh, you know, George, George has still had, I, George, I'm going to say that you still have incredible hops. All right, uh, from watching you uh, out in the out in the windy plains of Minnesota um, for all those years we worked together, uh, you still have it. So that's in you. Uh, me, I just had reach. I didn't jump. I just reached. Uh, so so you know, me jumping around in the sand is just going to make me want to go to the beach because um, I I can only do I can I'm only going to be able to gain so much uh from doing that so you got to find you know what works um and so for me it always comes back to, to a couple things um number one uh what what are your feet doing and how much drive do you get and how can you improve your feet work um what is your balance um you know how many steps 
can you take to get to the ball? You know, it's that old, you know, are you keeping your feet? Are you diving? And what does that look like? Um, getting back to the bar, that's all important and getting, you, you can train, um, you know, the technique for that, but also it's, it's like, maybe you shouldn't be out so far getting back to the bar has to be a priority. I mean, there's, there's that kind of, that's what I meant earlier about technical decision-making that comes from working with goalkeepers only, and then you put it into the game and then you, you, you match, you know, what you need to do. Um, so I think that that's, there, there's some key things going on and, you know, no one, you know, who your goalkeepers are. Um, we were talking about the star just a minute ago, the blue Jersey that's behind me belongs to Zach Lubin, who's now at Phoenix. And when he came to me from Montana, he was a six feet four, gosh, 165 pound, 17 year old. And he left here at 20, he turned 22 and he, he was up to about, I don't know, 190 or 200 or something like that. And he, we had to figure out, I mean, he had all the size in the world, um, but, you know, getting him to figure out how to move his body the right way. And he, he added a ton of muscle and he's very powerful, you know, spent a lot of time in the weight room, but it, it always came, but no matter what we did in the gym, it always came back to what we would do, you know, in functional goalkeeping to, you know, to help improve him. Um, he benefited from plyometric work that was done right alongside a, a, what was a bastardized, you know, bigger, stronger, faster program is where we, he, he was in our first class actually. So um, when we started our program here at St. Martin, so that was a bit of an experiment, but he's been able now to carve himself out a nice career, um, you know, uh, in the championship in USL and, and, you know, um, has, you know, learned to do some things. So I, I guess the, the, the thing about it is, is you got to figure out what your mix is. Um, if you're five feet, if you're a female and you're five feet four or five feet three, you know, having some explosiveness is good, but making sure that just your, the nuts and, you know, bolts of your goalkeeping are good is important too. Um, you know, so that you can maximize technically everything you can do, um, maximize all those little decisions that come from combining technique and the little tactical positional things that you got to do. So, and that takes time and you gotta, you gotta have some effort. I guess that the big thing that I don't do is like, we use speed ladders in the gym every day. Um, but out on the field, I don't use speed ladders cause I don't equate the work that my guys do with speed ladders to the exact kind of footwork that I want from goalkeepers. So we'd use it to develop, to develop, um, general, um, general movement, but specifically with goalkeepers, it's the steps I feel are different. Weight bearings, different. Uh, body shape when we do it is different so um additionally there's no one of my problems with speed letters is people do them without uh, a stimulus in other words there's no decision making it's like okay two in one out two in one out no that's great but what happens when you know you have somebody running at you and it's not two in two out it's yeah how do we how do we make a decision and you know cod is the big thing in literature change of direction yeah. Um, but there has to be a stimulus. There has to be a stimulus for that. Exactly. Well, usually the ball is, um, and it, 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 you know, if you're getting a lot of steps through the step ladder or the speed ladder, sorry, step that step ladder training. I haven't quite gotten to that. Uh, uh, Jesus, somebody's going to try. Home Depot, proud sponsor of the goalkeeper roundtable. Home Depot. New, new firm, quick goal. You know, step ladder training. Uh, so no, but the, the issue with speed ladders is there's not enough ball. As I see people working, there's not enough ball engagement and the ball is always the stimulus for me. 
um, in terms of, of getting the kind of technical response. So, yeah, yeah. So um, I, I think that some resistance work is good. Um, and that, to be honest with you, that's, you, you get a lot of that in the gym, but then getting out and just getting, you know, uh, it's a problem that we have in college with, uh, you, you know, with our, in our eight hour segments, we only get we, in, in division two. Now we get four hours out of the eight when we're in that off season time period. And so I have to be careful that we're not doing anything too goalkeeping specific in the gym. Cause it could go into the soccer park that I want to be really soccer, but you still have to have that relationship and, and that stimulus. So it's a big deal. Um, changing directions a little bit, but um, in terms of youth goal, we, we try to address and hopefully help out youth goalkeeper coaches. Yeah. In terms of what you see in, in other people that are working with and coaching youth goalkeepers, yeah. are there strengths, are there weaknesses, are there things that they should be addressing? What would you say to youth goalkeeper coaches? So why when the ball is driven at a kid's shin right at them are they trying to dive for example that would be i mean it's just that application of of figure out how the feet need to move figure out how the body needs to move how do you get the hands involved and what is the simplest easiest way to respond um it, and, and that equates to what an outfield player does with their first touch so diving at the wrong time is like a bad first touch to me. Um, so, you know, I guess that's the biggest thing is with goalkeeping coaches is, you know, figure out. And if you're, if you're new, you just, you, you, there has to be some trial and error, but at the end of it, if there's more error and it causes a greater trial, then you're guilty of not doing the right things. So, so I think that that, you know, posture is real big for me. Uh, being able to to make decisions from a set position and and move with some functionality is is critical. Um, and for me, it just goes all the way back to basics. I mean, I work on basics all the time. I mean, you know, whether it was, you know, any of the guys that I worked with, that, you know, we did a lot of work in, in, in basics all the time, all the time. And I think that sometimes youth goalkeeping coaches in a club environment, whether they're doing working with goalkeepers or they're working with goalkeepers in a team, just have to understand that just going, keep, keep going through and building a, a bigger and better uh, repertoire of, of, of functional kinds of things that'll really help is, is the first way to getting mastery over taking a player forward and having, you know, less trials at the end and less errors. So yeah. that's, uh, that's basically what I think. George, what have you got? Yeah, no, I, I love that, Rob. And, you know, again, you and I have worked together and have s similar philosophies, but, you know, I can't remember who actually said it, but, you know, it just resonated with me. And again, being on, on the shorter side, you know, they just simplified and said, you know, it's, it's your, your legs, your feet that get you to the ball. You know, and I just, you know, I really took that to heart. Um, you know, I'm I remember uh, also training with uh, with John Pasparella a lot during the the Soccer Plus days, and and JP was saying that um, his coach at Penn State, uh, Coach Barr, would be like, you know, here's a challenge. I want you to think about getting your body behind everything. You know, so they, you know, preaching, you know, the mobility part of it. Um, I, I like, I really like what you're saying about knowing yourself as a goalkeeper. I think, um, I think that gets taken for granted, you know, because everyone's trying to carve you in that 
that mold, you know, and again, you know, you're looking at, uh, you know, now it's Emmanuel Neuer before, maybe it was Edwin van der Sar and before that it was Peter Schmeichel, but everybody's a bit unique and you need to identify your strengths and weaknesses. And I like how you were saying, like, listen, you know, if you're, you're short, yeah, you know, you do need to stay connected to the game. You got to be able to understand the spacing behind your back line. But at the same time, you know, you cannot get caught too far. You're just not big enough to get back and make that save. So maybe it means you being a bit more conservative, you know? So at the same time, what's the dilemma there? And, you know, now it's going to be, you know, you probably, you might have to, to deal with a, a few more breakaways because you're not going to be able to get to that through ball. So again, I think there is that, that problem solution part of it as well. Um, you know, one of the, one of the discussions that we've presented to some other guys, and I mentioned it to you is, you know, the teaching and coaching communication. And I can only imagine that in today's, those activities that you described earlier is a great opportunity and those two V2s. And then obviously the, you know, manipulating the numbers where it's the numerical advantage that you're going to be able to coach that, um, uh, or coax that out of your goalkeepers at the collegiate level, but for those youth goalkeeper coaches out there, um, any suggestions of how to improve um, them coaching communication and their goalkeepers? I think they need to do it on Snapchat. <laughs> I think that's the, that's the huge problem, you know, is that everything is immediate, but it demands some kind of a, key, a handheld keyboard. Um, you know, I mean, this is, this is it. I think we're, we're, we're losing some interpersonal ability, um, to, to deal with it. Um, because before cell phones, I, I always felt kids had the ability to speak more meaningfully. It's like, everybody is quiet now waiting for something to come up with their screen. And then they respond to it by writing something back. I, I was an English teacher for a while. Uh, before I left teaching. And, and so that intrigues me, you know, uh, the ability to have be on the keyboard all the time and be, you know, structuring things in writing. Um, but it's absolutely freaking worthless um, in the environment you're talking about, George. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think I, I, first of all, giving kids the foundation of what needs to be said and also understanding that when the ball and play is at the other end of the field, you know, there's no reason, you know, running an ESPN commentary on what's going on there. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, things in the, things in the final third need to be organized and establishing a voice to do that is important. Um, you know, using, you learning to use, you know, body language and hand signals too is helpful, uh, so that you can, you know, um, add to what's being said. So I just think that fundamental foundation, uh, you know, giving vocabulary and talking about two, I, I talk to talk to even my youth goalkeepers about their tone. Um, you know, if they're really pissed off at a kid, um, you know, you can only get away so much with screaming at somebody or, or telling them how pissed off you are at them. Um, so you got to find different ways to do that. And, and, and sometimes that has to happen outside the structure of the moment, you know, where you got to kind of meet with someone and, and talk through things and maybe get out a little whiteboard and say, okay, this is what I was looking at, you know, and, you know, just having a process for, for improving communication can, can come outside of the moment, but inside the moment, I think that, 
you know, key things have to happen. One of, one of the things I love at a youth level is I have half my kids saying, show them right or show them left. And then they turn around and go, which way is that? You know, because everybody's facing the right way. So, you know, teaching them about going into the center circle and out to the, out to the touch line might be a little easier. Um, but that's, that's, see, that's a GPS thing um, where we don't have to have GPS up here anymore. We just have, a, have it on our phone. So, um, you know, technology is not helping, I don't think, improve communication. I think it's, I think we're, as a, as a soccer culture, I think we're struggling, um, to be fair. So, um, you know, it's great, it's great we have this, you know, somebody say, well, you're on a podcast right now, dumbass. So, you know, um, that's technology. But uh, at, at the same time, when it comes to, you know, Georgie, what you got to do out on the field today and what I got to do and the rest of us have to do out on the field today, we got to be specific and we have to be, you know, forthright in that. So I think it's, it's something we have to just keep battering and battering. And, you know, I, there were two guys and we played on Wednesday and, and we're struggling a little bit. And there were two guys right in front of me, ball, balls played between them, ball goes out of bounds. I go, you have said nothing to each other, you know, so it just isn't goalkeepers that don't mm-hmm. give, you know, mm-hmm. feedback, you know, it's all of us. Yeah. Um, you know, we coaches aren't supposed to joystick coach, which I'm a big fan of not doing, uh, but players, you know, need to th- learn how to thrive in that and thrive more in just the rondo before the game when everybody's barking. But, you know, when you're breathing out your butt and, and you know, you got to solve problems, you, you got to be able to give that information. So that's it. That's definitely a hurdle that we all have to cross over. So for sure. Yeah, I think, um, Rob, you, I don't know. Do you remember uh, Sarah Peters, a goalkeeper from Woodenville? Yeah. yeah, she was at Oregon and yeah. she has a, she had a great build for a goalkeeper, technically pretty sound. But she was very, very quiet as a just as a person, and that was one of the hardest things I, one of the hardest coaching assignments I guess you could say that I ever had was trying to get her to be more extroverted. And your teammates want you to be extroverted. They want you to speak. They want you to direct, and that was a struggle for her. Um, and she overcame it eventually, but um, that was one of the hardest things to coach um, with her. Um, well, it's I mean when you're an outfield player and and you're quiet. I've coached some very quiet girls. And you could just say, well, you're going to speak with your feet. It's a little harder when you have to be in that leadership role as a goalkeeper and they don't have the vocal ability to, to shout. You know, I've, I've had players like that, that just, you know, you can't hear anything just because physically they can't get it out. And that's, that's something that, you know, you, it takes a lot of work and um, it, sometimes you got to pass that on to somebody else to get some of that stuff, uh, you know, uh, sorted out. But um yeah, that's a problem. I remember Sarah. It's good. Yeah. No, she ended up playing for Ireland. She ended up having a, actually a very good career. Yeah. Um, uh, this has been great. This has been just about at an hour. Um, sorry. Speaking of technology. Um, <laughs> there. Okay, good. Come on. There we go. But I think um, what's consistent about what you're saying, uh, Rob, because you're now, I mean, if I haven't asked everyone on our show, but certainly... Um, you know, there's been a few guys, uh, you know, that have concurred that it's one of the, one of the, I would say probably, probably what you said, you know, the biggest challenge, it's definitely a hurdle. And certainly I, I, I attest that technology, um, the texting, you know, people rarely are picking up phones. They'd rather just text or or email. I think that doesn't, um, make it any easier for, for coaches. 
Um, and but also, you know, I, I want to reiterate that it is in the job description based on our vantage point that, you know, we need our, our goalkeepers to communicate and obviously effectively. So, yeah, yeah, difficult thing. Um, we are right at an hour. So, Rob, this has been great. This has been a great conversation because, again, it's, it's always fun to talk and bounce these ideas around with people um, that can give it some good thought. So we appreciate your time. Jeff, George, anything to before we kind of like wrap up? Yeah, I've got a quick one, if you don't mind, Rob, because our listeners don't get a chance to look into the rooms that we're all in and see each other. You mentioned the blue jersey that's hanging on your wall. Do you have a quick story about that green jersey hanging on the wall? Well, when you don't play in a World Cup, you don't get a classy uh, frame. That, that was uh, Casey's uh, uh, jersey from 2002 uh, when they, they, they played in Korea. Um, so, uh, um, but, uh, no, I, I have, a, I have a couple other, a couple other better jerseys. I have a Sounders jersey of him in here as well. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, it, his career was a fun one. Um, and, um, you know, I, uh, I, I really, you know, as, as he played and, you know, when he was on TV, his mom, you know, used to say, you know, gee, just, this just makes me so nervous to watch him play and everything. And I go, well, don't worry, he'll retire soon. You don't have to worry about it. So, um, yeah, that's Casey's is uh, the one from Korea behind me there. Very cool. Rob, can you give us a little bit of insight in regards to how that all transpired? And, you know, when did, when you first started with work, working with Casey? Uh, he was 11 wow. and, um, <laughs> Uh, I had come back from uh, a uh, Joe Macknick inspired uh, goalkeeping session at my C license in 1981. And uh, that's where Walt Chiswick said, your job as a got the A, B and C coaches on the course. And he said, everybody here needs, if you want to know what you got to do to make soccer in a, this country better, everybody uh, develop somebody that can play for the national team. So I went home and I said, okay, I, I'm really inspired by what Dr. Joe did and and all that. And so I uh, started working with guys locally and we, we trained, um, you know, a couple times a week and it continued doing that actually all the way through, even when he was at university of Portland and you know, Bill Ir Irwin worked with him. Um, you know, Bill said, Hey, anytime you want to come down and work with him, you know, Casey would say, hey, I have a day off. I want to do something. So I'd come down and uh, see him and we worked through, you know, all the summers, you know, when he was, you know, getting ready to, you know, go back for preseason and stuff around the national team. So, um, yeah, it was fun. That was a good time. Oh, very good. Very good. Cool. Um, well, as I said, Rob, we really appreciate your time taking a, a, an hour this afternoon to chat and, I don't know, just bounce stuff around. So um, we really, really appreciate your time. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, it's been my pleasure, guys, and, and, and all the best through COVID and into what I hope will be even a better new year, okay? We hope you enjoyed that episode at the Goalkeeper Roundtable. If you'd like to reach out with suggestions, comments, or questions, all of our email addresses are available in the show description. If you like the show, we'd love for you to subscribe to it, but also share it in social media platforms or with any other goalkeeper or coach who may find value in it. We hope you turn in to the next Goalkeeper Roundtable.